Last Sunday we were in Mark chapter 2 and we saw Jesus healing the paralytic who was lowered through the roof by his four friends. And we also saw the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who were there complaining about Jesus' declaration of his forgiveness. Today, we are focusing on the same chapter, but we are going to focus on verse 13 to 17 of Mark chapter 2. It's another incident that follows after the healing of the paralytic. But before we look at Mark 2, 13 to 17, let us remind ourselves here what we always do. That we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and that everyone that believes in Jesus Christ is a child of God, let us say it together, the Bible is God's word for us. We come before you, Lord, thanking you for this moment, praying that, Lord, you may accomplish through your word what you intend to accomplish this morning, and that in everything you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So after the healing of the paralytic, Jesus walks uh, to the shores of the lake there. And uh, on his way through the town, he sees a tax collector in his office. It's important for you to realize that tax collectors in this world are looked down upon in biblical world. They are despised and hated because they work for the Romans. They are considered extortionists. They are a scam. No one likes them. A little bit like most Americans. <laughs> if you want to raise the blood pressure of many Americans, just mention tax forms. Or the IRS. Tax collectors in this biblical world are not even allowed to serve as judges or even as witnesses. They are excommunicated from the synagogues. They are the lowest of the lowest. Jesus sees a tax collector and he says to him, follow me. His name is Levi and in the other gospels he is known as Matthew. We are told when he sees him, Jesus says to him, follow me. And the Levi got up and followed him. Follow me is a command. Jesus is not telling him, 
If you want to come, you can come. Jesus doesn't tell us that if you want to believe in me, you can believe in me. He does not give us a choice when he calls us. It's either we respond in obedience or we don't. But he doesn't give us a choice. And this is the same thing he does to this tax collector, this person who is despised and everyone wants to avoid. This person that everyone thinks he should go to hell. He says, follow me. And the tax collector follows Jesus. And the rest is his story. We are told this Levi, son of Alphaeus, when he follows Jesus, he throws a party. There's a celebration in his house. Look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, he was supposed to follow Jesus. How did they end up in his house? When Jesus calls us to himself, we come to him and he also comes to us. When he called Zacchaeus, when he told Zacchaeus, come down, Zacchaeus came down and Jesus came to his house. We come to him just as he comes to us. In the Levi's house, we are told there were many tax collectors and sinners. They were eating with him and his disciples. So Jesus is in this Levi's house, this tax collector, this despised person house. And this Levi has invited his friends, his fellow tax collectors and sinners. There's a reason one group is referred to as sinners to the Pharisees and the scribes. Sinners were those people that fell short of their standard of living. Tax collectors were in their group and then sinners included anyone who was not able to live according to the righteous standard of the Pharisees. They are all gathered in this house and Jesus the Son of God, the Messiah, is reclining at a table, eating with them. He is fellowshipping with the rejected. He is fellowshipping with those people that everyone thinks they deserve to go to hell. <coughs> He is eating 
with tax collectors and sinners. Just like in the room, the house where the paralytic was brought down, in this house too, we have the self-righteous people. They want to spoil the party. In verse 16 we are told, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they couldn't take it. But this time they don't go directly to Jesus, they go to his disciples. And they ask, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? The only reason one can ask that question is because they feel that these are the people that we need to avoid. They can't understand why this Jesus, this self-proclaimed Messiah, is eating with sinners and tax collectors. It bothers them. Why? Because they are self-righteous. They are sick. But they are not aware of it. They hold themselves so highly. Because they have a standard of living. That they think everyone should submit to. They have an image of Jesus in their mind. And they think Jesus needs to adjust to that image. Why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? These are the people that Jesus said elsewhere that they are like whitewashed tombs. They look very nice on the outside, but in the inside... They have no life. Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, he says something about our righteousness. I think this is a good passage for us to consider here. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Without Jesus Christ, anything good that we think we can do is like filthy rags. Without Jesus Christ in our lives, we cannot please God. We don't qualify to please God. 
Anything good that you do without Christ is like filthy rags. And do you know what filthy rags mean? What kind of rags we are talking about? These are, these are rags that are used to, 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 to be wrapped to a dead person. They are filthy. You're not supposed to touch them because they make you unclean if you are a Jew. And Jesus and Isaiah is telling us here that our righteousness are like those rags. That means our righteousness cannot make us acceptable before God. No matter how good one thinks he is or she is, her goodness, his goodness cannot make him or her acceptable to God. The only way we can be acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ. Through his righteousness. He has made him to be seen for us who knew no sin so that we can become the righteousness of God through him. Now, when you realize that you are acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ, when you realize that, it humbles you. All pride is supposed to vanish by the realization that the only reason I'm acceptable to God is because Jesus Christ died for me. There is no room for pride and arrogance when we realize that the only reason God accepts us is because of Jesus Christ. That everything we are and everything we have done makes us unacceptable. You realize that, you appreciate it. When you are convicted with that truth, you will accept us. You did it here. When you are convicted that you are only acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ, it will humble you to an extent that you will want to accept others. Amen. That is what the Pharisees the scribes, the teachers of the law are missing. They don't have that joy and therefore they don't understand. This is also seen in the parable of the prodigal son. When the other son comes back and the older son gets angry. And he does not want to join the celebration. The father is celebrating. The servants are celebrating. The neighbors are joining in the celebration. But the first son refuses to go in. Because he thinks he's better. But he also thinks that his father, what his father is doing is wrong. He does not share the father's heart. The Pharisees. Even though they claim to love God, they claim to obey him, they miss 
the father's heart. They don't share in his mission. That's why I really like what Jesus says here. His response to them in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So Jesus is the doctor, and the sinners and tax collectors are the sick. And by saying this, Jesus is not saying that the Pharisees or the scribes are healthy. He's not saying that. Because Mark shows us that they are sick too. But there's a difference between someone who is sick and thinks they are healthy and someone who is sick and realizes that they are sick and they need help. The scribes are sick but they don't realize it. And therefore, they are refusing the help that is available for them. The tax collectors and the sinners, they are sick, but they realize it. And they are accepting the healing that Jesus is bringing to them. Those who are sick, those who are healthy, don't need a doctor but the sick. Jesus says, I have come to call the righteous. I have come not, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's come to call sinners because he is the righteous one. He's telling the Pharisees, this is actually an invitation to the Pharisees as well. It is an invitation to anyone who realizes that they are sick, that they are sinners. To everyone who realizes that they have fallen short of the glory of God to anyone who realizes that Jesus is the only righteous one of God by whom we can be saved. Why is this important? What does this mean for us today? What do we learn from here? We see Jesus reaching out to this man who is the lowest of the lowest in this society. What does this tell us about Jesus? I'm glad you asked. It tells us that Jesus comes to us as a friend. He comes to us as a loving, 
caring friend. Jesus loves sinners. He calls every sinner to come to him. And when they turn to him, when they repent, he accepts them and he fellowships with them. He has come to call sinners to repentance. He approaches sinners as a friend, not as an enemy. He comes as a friend. This is very important for us to know. Because in Jesus' ministry, in his ministry, there is no soul that is beyond God's grace. In Jesus' ministry, even the lowest of the lowest can have a seat at the table. That is the Jesus that Mark is presenting to us today. That is the Jesus that the Bible presents to us. That's the Jesus that we believe in and that's the Jesus that we should proclaim. And that is the Jesus that in most cases we misrepresent. He comes to us as a friend because in his ministry no soul is beyond God's grace. Jesus loves sinners. He loves sinners because when he looks at them he can see what they can become. Unfortunately, that's not how we look at people today. That's not how we look at those people that we think everyone should avoid. The reason we do that is because we have our imagined Jesus. We have formed our own image of Jesus. An image that does not come as a friend. Instead of being the Christ that others can see, we have become the Christian that others want to avoid. It is unfortunate that this kind of Jesus is no longer the Jesus that we proclaim. We don't always focus on what people can become. We focus on who they are. We identify them with their sins. We identify people with their weaknesses. We label them. You are an alcoholic. 
You are homeless. You are a homosexual. You are divorced. And once we do that, we place them somewhere else. This becomes people that we want to avoid. This Jesus looks at the same people and he sees prospects of God's kingdom and he comes to them as a friend because he can see what they can become. It is this same Jesus that looked at you and saw your sinfulness and saw your lifestyle and your rebellious attitude and he still came to you as a friend. And he said to you, follow me. And you looked at this Jesus, you listened to his voice and you asked yourself, this Jesus is the person that everyone is following and yet he can pay attention to me. He can still love me even though I have nothing to do with him. I have been rebellious all my life and by him coming to you as a friend, it humbled you and you listened to his voice and you turned to him and he accepted you and today you can say that I am a child of God. It is because of Jesus Christ. And yet, we look at someone else and instead of being a friend, we drive them away. Jesus comes to us as a friend Two things that I see here, one, I've already talked about it, he sees in us what no one else can see. Because he does not only see where we are, but he also looks at what we can become. He sees in us what no one else can see. He looks at you, and even though he knows your lifestyle, even though he knows your thoughts, and he knows what you think of yourself, he also knows what other people are saying about you and what other people know about you. But he looks at you and he focuses on what you can become. Do you know the difference that makes? That you look at a person and even though you know everything about them, because you have experienced the power of God, the transformation, transforming power in your life, you look at that person and you're saying, the same God that has worked in my life is able to work in this person's life. And therefore, I am going to allow that God to use me in their lives as well. That makes a huge difference. 
But I think we don't really appreciate the transformation that the Lord has done and He continues to do in our lives. I think the way we approach others is influenced by that kind of thinking where we have not fully accepted that we have been transformed. Jesus sees in us what no one else can see because he sees what we can become. Here is the second thing. Jesus comes to us the same way he expects us to approach others. He comes to us in the same way he expects us to approach others. I called this message the great omission for a reason. Because in the gospel we have what we call the great commission. Where Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things I have commanded you, and I will be with you. He also tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, or of the earth. He commissions his disciples to be witnesses, to proclaim his name and his work. Today, Christians and churches in general have gone to two extremes. One, instead of reaching out to the lost, we have become like the world. We think we are so smart that we have moved from whom we are supposed to be in Christ and taken the place of the world. Such that Christians have become more like the world than like Christ. That's one of the extremes. And then the other extreme is, we have isolated from the world. We have isolated ourselves from the world. Such that Christians want nothing to do with the lost. We want... Christian doctors, we want Christian dentists, we want Christian massage. Some of us, even our pets, are Christians. <laughs> we have either become more like the world or we have isolated ourselves completely from the world. Jesus has, has, 
has left us in this world for a reason. He has left us in this world because he wants us to proclaim him in this world. That it means as a Christian, you need to have friends who are not Christians. Intentionally. Those people that you meet at the gym or in school meetings or at work, take, an advantage, take advantage of that opportunity so that you can be the reason they will know Christ. Invite them for dinner. Invite them to your birthday parties. You have a mission. When Jesus says that it's the sick who need the doctor, in this world today, you are the doctor. You know the true doctor. You can point those who are sick to the healer. But you won't be able to do that if you are isolating yourself from them. It's the self-righteous attitude. We are Christians claim to love God, but their hearts are far, far away from God. The great omission uh, commissions has become the great omission. I think if anything, that is the sin that we need to confess. I remember saying here that Jesus has been misrepresented. We have a Jesus that is not the Jesus that the Bible proclaims to us. Because this Jesus comes to us as a caring friend. And he will come again as a judge. But he comes to us as a caring friend. Is your who is your Levi? Who is your Matthew? That one person that you think deserves to go to hell. Who is that person in your life? That one person that you want to avoid. If you want to test how humble you are, see how you treat that person, how you relate to that person. Because Jesus looks at the same person 
and he sees the prospect of God's kingdom. He looks at that person and that person fits the profile and he comes to him or to her as a friend. What is your thinking about those who are divorced? How do you see them? As a Christian, when you look at your fellow Christian, Christians who are divorced, what comes to your mind? Do you think you are better than them? Or do you look at them and thank God that they are in Christ? Who is your Levi? Again, I want to remind you that on Saturday we have the family fun day. We expect to have people come here and we are calling on everyone that believes in Jesus Christ, everyone to come and use that opportunity to connect with people for the sake of pointing them to Jesus Christ. That is an opportunity for you. And I know there are many reasons that we may have for not showing up, but that's an opportunity we can make use of. But I also want you to think of your neighbors. Is there something that you can do as a friend, intentionally, because you want to point them to Jesus Christ. It is, it's not wise that you have a celebration going on in your house, let's say a party or something going on and you've invited Christians that they have come from different parts and none of your neighbors has been invited. That's what the world will do. They will invite those they know. But you are not of the world. You are a Christian. Extend that invitation to your neighbors. It's up to them if they're going to come or not. But invite them. Invite them for dinner. Americans love eating, right? It's, it's, we know that. Take that advantage. All these are opportunities that we have that we are not using. You can be the Christ that someone else can see.
Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you continue to apply this truth in our lives as you transform us. So that, Lord, those who are yet to believe in you, when they see us, when they meet us, they will experience you in a fresh way. And Lord, I want to pray on behalf of everyone who is here. That you help us, Lord, in the areas of our challenges. Those areas that we, we are struggling to allow you to take over. Help us, Lord, to submit to you. Help us, Father, to be the Christ that others can see. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.